Welcome to the Inside Marketing Talks podcast, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the marketing world, one expert at a time. Join us each week as we dive deep into the latest tools and techniques used by marketers and startup founders to scale their businesses. Let's get into this week's episode of Inside Marketing Talks. Welcome, everyone. I'm Stephanie, your host from Inside.com. Our topic today is why customers don't care about your product. And we have Aditya Venpati joining us. He's a marketing executive, investor, and startup mentor who has built and scaled marketing teams for companies in SaaS, life sciences, and infrastructure. He is a great person to speak to us today because his experience includes building a team at Amplitude that achieved 400% revenue growth in 16 months by focusing on customer problems, which is what we're talking about today. So Amplitude actually ended up doing a $4.5 billion IPO. So I think it's safe to say that he knows what he's talking about when it comes to focusing on customers' problems. I mean, maybe one of you in the call today will eventually have a $4.5 billion IPO for your company. Who knows? So that's a little bit about our speaker today. Of course, you know, inside.com or the best business community for any topic. We have events like this all the time. We have newsletters and over 40 topics and communities on our website. So without further ado, I want to go ahead and welcome on Aditya. Thank you for being here. We're excited to hear your presentation. Hello. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. Excited to speak with everyone today and hear your questions and thoughts and, you know, make it as interactive as possible while talking about some of the problems you may be dealing with and help me understand the framework that I've been utilizing. A little bit of my background, I've been humbled and privileged to work at a few companies that have achieved IPO as well as unicorns, one of them being Nutanix, another one being Amplitude, and another one being Synthica in the life sciences space. My experience and focus has always been how do you market the problems customers are experiencing? I've had the privilege of scaling companies from 5 million in revenue ARR to about 65 million, grown marketing teams from two to 20 people and created categories of hyperconverged product analytics and genome engineering. And again, been fortunate to be part of two companies that have IPO'd, Nutanix and Amplitude, and hopefully uh, Cynthia goes on the way. Fun fact, whenever I need to think about problems or I feel cloudy in my thought process, I actually vacuum slash clean the house. You know, it sounds ridiculous, but it gives me, it's like gardening gives me therapy as I try to tackle. So today I really like want to talk about why customers don't care about your products and they care about their problems. And to start off with that, I want to talk about the reality of the market. And one of the things about the reality of the market is that when I ask the audience here, what percentage of your prospects do you think are ready to buy this quarter? You guys can use the chat to say what percentage you think that is. Um, and it's for this quarter. I'll give you guys a few few seconds here to chime in in the chat with answers. Maybe high percentage once I get the offer down. So reality is there's been a study done, and this is what I use a lot in my thinking, a lot of framework. At any given time, only 5% of your target prospect is ready to buy in the current quarter, meaning that 95% of your potential buyers aren't buying yet. That translates to the fact that if you're sitting here and you're trying to get into market, and basically focus on who will make purchases from you right now, that's only 5%. And who will buy from you in the next four to five years, it's 95% of potential buyers. So what does this mean? This really means you're, you're dealing with two things here. The first part is for 5% to get those people to purchase, it would be demand capture. And demand capture really is focused on getting folks to make the purchase because they are ready at the point of consideration. 
And the second part is really demand creation, where 95% of potential buyers already make a purchase. They're thinking about it and they're educating themselves. Andrew, that's a great question you're asking. How do they conclude that? They assume the typical buying cycle of a contract is about five years. And they assume that every year, 20% of people make a purchase, meaning that for every quarter, 5% of folks are ready to make a purchase, which translates into 5% for this quarter and 95% for future quarters. And that's why it requires a lot of companies to take two parallel tracks, where one, you focus on demand capture, where you can make your quarterly numbers this quarter, as well as demand creation, where you have to be able to educate the audience enough, understand their problems enough, such that you can market to them when they're ready to be in market and you're top of mind. Aditya, can I ask real quick, is this more B2B or B2C? This is much more on the B2B side. Okay, this that is makes sense basically... about the once every five-year cycle kind of thing? Yep, that's right. Cool, thank you. So as you go through that process, you realize that you need to balance both sides. As your early-stage company or even mid-to-late-stage companies, everyone deals with demand capture versus demand creation. This results in us having to think about the prospect's problems. If you're able to understand their problems, understand what their challenges are, they will really resonate with what you're doing. And one of the things talked to all my teams as well as companies and product teams, this isn't to insult the product or what you're building, it's that prospects aren't really worried about your products. They don't care about your competitors' products either. They don't want to hear about your feature or tech differentiate from your competitors. They really care about solving their problems. What are the problems that you are going to help them solve? And then they'll be curious about understanding how your product allows them to do that. And that's really what I want to stress today, right? Is that people don't want quarter inch drills. They want quarter inch holes. They really want to get to the root of the issue and make sure that the problem they have, your product allowed them to make progress on it. And this is something that I constantly stress to all my teams is how we message for the B2B space is what we really focus on is, hey, how can customers make progress to solving their problems using our product. Not that our product is the end all be all. And when I say this and I translate this, this is really say is like, hey, you have a potential customer, your product is the flower that gives them firepower, right? And you wanna tell them, hey, I will allow you to accomplish X, Y, Z, and this is the problem you have, and this is how we allow you to solve that problem with our product. And this isn't to say, oh, your product doesn't matter, as I said before, it's to put it in the context of how it allows them to solve their problems. So. I want to go through a few examples of prospects' problems that we focused on in my past. On Nutanix, as I said, IPO'd. They have up to 19,000 customers. They're all paid a billion in ARR. The problem, this is a B2B company and B2B infrastructure company. In this space, there is a virtual admin who would deploy applications, let's assume like virtual desktops or being able to run Microsoft Office in the cloud, but the cloud was on-premise versus in Amazon. And they couldn't get their storage admins to give up control. And thus, as a result, they'd have to wait a prolonged amount of time before their storage admins could dedicate storage for these apps. And thus resulting in weeks and months to deploy these apps that they'd already paid for and people they had hired to do the work. And this business impact was slow to deployment, caused a lot of issues. And this is where we really focused on the problem and focused on that saying, hey, this is the issue. And so your virtual admins can't get the storage they need because the storage admins won't give it to them in time because they're swamped. Another aspect of understanding the customer problem was at Amplitude, which I mentioned IPO, they have about $300 million run rate. Product managers didn't understand the value their products delivered to prospects. And this really resulted in having about 80% of churn 
of acquired users in three days. Meaning examples, if you got 10,000 users, 8,000 of them would leave in three days. And we did the work again to understand these problems and allowing us to understand what the prospects and customers really cared about. And the last example I'll give is Synthago. It's about $2 million valuation, 5,000 customers, $100 million run rate. This is in the life science space. Is the problem was researchers were able to use CRISPR to do the research, but it was very slow. It would take researchers four to six months to do a single experiment because they didn't know how to use CRISPR. And this was a problem we realized that we, after we researched and did surveys and reports, found out was a key issue. So with that, I want to pause here and ask, like, what do you think are your prospects' top problems? What are the things you believe is keeping them up at night, the things that they care about the most? Feel free to type in the chat or if you want to speak up also as well. Yeah, so I think we have a lot of founders and builders here. We would love to hear what you're working on. Maybe I could call on someone because I know I was talking with Joshua earlier about partnering with his wife in real estate. And then Josh, what was the that you're building right now on your own? So the business is the easy hire system. The overall like umbrella problem is talent attraction and retention. So they need to attract employees, right? Every small business does every, you know, mid-sides and large corporations. They need to attract employees and then retain them. That's a big problem. Great. Thank you. And then I saw Alfonso is here too. Alfonso, could you tell us about your startup real quick and what problem you're solving for your customers? Sure. Apocalypse Software develops tools and processes that help software teams improve their productivity. And we can make individual contributors work more efficiently and, and productively up to a certain point. What our clients don't understand is that the problem is the entire pipeline. If you make an individual contributor faster, it just creates a back, a bigger backlog because the whole process has, has to be made more efficient, not just an individual. So trying to help them understand that is a, is a big hurdle. Oh, so it's not just improving the efficiency of a single developer, but like an entire team of developers. Of developers, technical writers, customer support, uh, artists, UX designers, et cetera, helping the workflow of everybody become more effective is the biggest challenge in productivity in the workforce today. Cool. We'll throw it back to Aditya. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the info, guys. And so one of the things as you're thinking about, like, how do you understand your prospect's top problem, um, which I'll cover a little bit here is you got to make sure to spend time in talking to your customers, understanding what is the pain that they're trying to solve and what would they pay for versus what they think they'll live with. And that's why I asked this question is getting to that problem. It isn't just, Hey, I think this is a problem. It's validating it. It's understanding it. And then speaking to them in terms that resonates with them is really key. So as we go here, right, I mentioned earlier, like once you know your prospects problems and what you're trying to do, uh, you have to balance demand capture, which is like 5% of people are in market and this is for B2B at any given time versus the 95%, which is the demand creation that are not in market, but you need to stay top of mind of. And to do that, it takes a conceited effort and focus in both aspects and running two parallel tracks. Like how do I capture someone who's ready to buy right now? and making sure they realize I know their problems. And then someone who's not ready to buy, but making sure they know I'm top of mind, I'm trustworthy, and I can keep having a conversation with them. So as I mentioned in Nutanix, we did this 
by really looking at demand capture by going to events, talking to channel partners as resellers early on. This allowed us to get momentum, close revenue early on, but then we seeded the channel also by focusing on creating the category of hyper-converged and focusing on the messaging of no sand. And sand, for you guys who may not be aware, is storage area network. And this basically is how you store your files on a network for everyone to access. And we were saying your current storage admins don't give your virtual admins the ability to create apps and storage for them. So what if you just did it yourself with Hyperconverge? We created an enemy that everyone agreed was the enemy, which was the problem. And this allowed us to rapidly accelerate early on into the demand capture really well, and then also continue seeding the demand creation channel. And then so with Amplitude, we really focused again, as I mentioned, churn was a big issue, but the real issue was how did product managers understand the value their products delivered. And early on, we focused on doing events, generating a lot of content, playbooks people would use. And this really allowed us to capture demand early on, have people at events, get them into the funnel, get them to accelerate through and allowing us to hit our revenue goals and growing almost 400, actually more if I remember, went from one point like 5 million to 16 million in the 16 months I was there. So I mean, maybe eight, 900% growth in literally 16 months. And that was because we saw the demand, we captured it well while generating demand capture and demand creation, where we created a category of product analytics and went from a thousand visitors a month from content that was ranking to 15,000 visitors a month at the end of my tenure there. And again, as you see the themes here, there are various channels that you can use to capture demand, the 5% right away. And there's channels that you have to invest in that'll take longer, which is the 95%. With Synthigo, again, for us, the 5% came from events, content, and offering them free things. We give them free guides, three free guides, which is like equivalent value $1,500 to conduct their experiment. And we often found that 30% of those people that took it became paying customers. And then out of the 30% that took it, we found that roughly 10% became six-figure to seven-figure deals over the course of two to three years. So we found that, okay, demand capture works also as demand creation as well. And that became, again, the focus by creating a category of genome engineering, focusing on SEO growth through content. This is where I would say in the three years I was there, we went from 1,000 visitors a month in organic content to about 40,000 visitors. And this is where we, I constantly believe, right, is demand capture can become your demand creation if you invest in them in smart, effective ways where the focus is the problem that customers are solving and how you can talk to them about their problems and not your product. So I want to ask the audience, like, what are you doing right now that is demand capture? You can type in the chat or, you know, unmute yourself. What do you guys think you're doing right now that is demand capture? I see Joshua saying lead magnet. Let me go to the next question here. What do you guys think you're doing right now that is demand creation? Which is, remember, the longer term focus, but not the 5% that's ready in this quarter buy. And this, again, for the B2B market. Aditya, I wonder if you could provide an example of each, because I really like this framework of like the 5% of your customers that are ready to buy are under the capture column. And then the 95% that are not yet ready to buy are under the column of like, you need to create demand. So what are some ways that yeah. companies traditionally create that demand? Yeah. So I think creating demand is more a long-term effort, focusing on blogging content as well as playbooks, right? Which is more in-depth. And this is educating people on how they need to think about solving their problems. And as a result, as Joshua was saying, 
you get them to download your assets. And Joshua, it's great that you're doing lead magnets, but then on the lead magnet side, you'll get someone in, but they may not be ready to make up shoes. So one of the things that we do for the demand capture side is oftentimes meet them where they could be ready to make a purchase, right? Which could be events that you host or you attend or working with channel partners who resell to these customers. At Nutanix, we did that. We did events and channel partners and Amplitude, we'd have channel partners. We focus very much for demand capture on events and giving them playbooks because we found that when these people download it, they're very much in the buying process. But then on the demand creation side for many companies, it's a longer term game. It involves creating a category and a new way of thinking that isn't prominent right away to someone's mindset. So I see Alfonso says content creation for my site, YouTube videos, social media, white papers, et cetera. That's definitely demand creation that takes some time, but get someone's focus in, in the right areas. It's like we have a few more people coming here. Sheesh says creating content that pulls subs in for our newsletters. Yep. That's definitely a demand, demand creation. So my next question is for the audience, how much time do you think you're spending on each one in a given week, given that, you know, demand captures 5%, demand creation is 95%. That doesn't mean your ratio should be matching up to that. But I'm just curious, how much does everyone here think they're spending in a week on demand capture versus demand creation? And Aditya, as everyone thinks about that and responds, do you also, we, we talked a lot about like content being a way to help create demand, help potential customers know about the problem they have and see you as a potential solution. But what are examples of that, that capture category? Like what are the savvy ways that companies are capturing that 5% that's ready to buy now? Yeah. So savvy ways is really like very, but for us, what we've done in the past, in my experience, right, is, is how do you accelerate someone's sense of urgency to get them to buy if they're at that 5%. And oftentimes we found giving them offers, giving offers like, Hey, here's a free guy or Hey, we have a free plan. And that really is like for Amplitude, we did the free plan thing where people are like, Oh, I'll just sign up. It's free. And that 5% used it. And all of a sudden we had reps reach out to that 5%. And they're like, Oh, Okay, I'm willing to pay. Remember, the free plan was zero, and then the first tier was about $2,000. So it's a big jump. But we found that it worked really well where people, we didn't attract more free users, but we attracted people up to be like, oh, there's a free plan, but I have a budget. I'll pay for the paid one instead. And so anything that accelerates the funnel that addresses their pain right away. And I would often recommend even for B2B, you can try free trials, right? I think they work really well. At the same time, doing events where industry speakers are talking about the pains they have. That's a really great way to do demand capture for that 5% because it gives them content that educates them from a person they trust, which or may or may not be you. But then the next part is it builds demand creation because it makes you look like a trusted person who is giving them resources that they need. Cool. And I see some more answers about that time breakdown. I'm so curious to hear what you say about like what's the most optimal or profitable way to spend your time on each of these categories. Yeah. And that's a great point, right? I think seeing the audience here, I could sit here and say, oh, we should always do demand creation from the start, but that wouldn't be applicable to where companies are, right? Early on, you're, you're going to do more demand capture stuff early on, meaning like the first year of a company's life, those first initial 10 customers, it's going to be demand capture. You're going to constantly just go after that. And once you get those first 10 customers, you start thinking about how can you do demand creation, meaning more white papers, writing more assets, getting people to download them. And you need to Put your focus in that, I would say, after the first year, after your first 10 customers, because you want to get that flywheel going as soon as possible, because SEO and content 
takes six to nine months to get ranking. So you can't just say, hey, I want to go rank right away. You got to put the time and effort to get there. So thank you everybody for your inputs here. I'm going to go into the next section. And really this is the part where Stephanie asked, hey, what are ways you can like do demand capture and creation, right? And then educating your audience is really key. And you can do things where you can educate your audience in a short term, right? Where you can get them to purchase and get them to buy in and make the purchase. And then long-term create a category by doing demand creation. And really educating your audience starts with understanding the problem and then educating those audiences through various channels and building trust. Once you build trust and you are marketing the problem and educating the audience, you own that category that you're talking heavily about, meaning that you're top of mind when they think about that problem. And thus that 95% becomes 5% every quarter. And it's like passive income, right? You don't, you're getting dividends from it because you made those investments a while back and there's just giving you return. So a few examples, talk about Amplitude because it's a product company, it's a software company, shorter sales cycles, is at Amplitude, we marketed the problem and we want to be the company for product analytics and sales and SDRs as they outbounded for demand capture would focus on key problems like mobile analytics, user retention, behavior analytics, behavioral cohorts, and product analytics. And we did that through various assets, as you can see. We talked about behavioral cohorting, state of analytics, what user retention means, and three ways to measure user retention. And that's how we educated and marketed the problem. And this resulted in us ranking really well and going from in less than 14 months from 150 leads coming in per month to 2,400 leads coming in per month. And this is exactly an example of demand creation and demand capture. We were capturing the demand, but also creating that demand also as well by educating folks on the problem. Then how do we educate the audience, right? Educating is also key. And this is the channels to capture them. As I was saying, we did growth clinics, events, particularly at that time, because as I said, they're a great way to capture demand immediately and create demand. And so we had different themes for each growth clinic. Retainer die was a theme, data was a theme, and just generally growth as a whole was a theme. And when we did that, this really allowed us, because we were marking the problem with our content, putting it out to the channels where it resonated to build trust. And this resulted in us doing a really big effort where we did something called the retention playbook, 152 page playbook across my team, product and customer success and sales, which resulted in us, well, before we launched even having 2000 people signed up, having 32,000 users to date downloading this book and about 40 to 45 million for Amplitude has been sourced through the lifetime of this book. This is something which really shows creating demand and capturing demand and how they can be both if you focus on really educating the audience with the problem. Andrew's asking, what if your industry is a fraternity? How do you integrate your company and products to them? Andrew, do you mean fraternity meaning like they buy from like specific people or what exactly how, do you mean by that? That kind of thing. I don't mean a college fraternity. I mean, something like, for example, law enforcement is a, is a group that identifies strongly to each other and yep. strongly away from people outside. If you wanted to sell them a product as a company I founded um, and later sold it several years ago, there was, there were some key steps you had to take. There are others as well, maybe see branches of medicine. I'm not a medical expert, but it would seem that, you know, that, that could be the kind of thing. So that's what I mean by a fraternity. Rather than just okay. being a name in a yellow page, it's how do you become 
a sort of a member of that trilogy. So you're, you're at the right events and thought of in the right way. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's some, a challenge we had to deal with at Nutanix, where it was a fraternity of who people bought storage from and the people that bought it from only trusted a certain segment. So we had to do the demand capture by going to channel partners who had those relationships already and creating their sales team or their events team or marketing team to a look at it as a solution that could help them by offering them higher margins or at the same time, training their sales team to sell our solution and co-selling together as a way to jumpstart getting revenue in the door and breaking into that fraternity. Because if they trust XYZ and XYZ says, hey, look at your company, they'll at least give you a chance to look at it. But XYZ has to believe your company will solve a problem that the, that the customer has, as well as be a solution that gets them more profit. So channel was a way we broke into the fraternity. Thanks. Yep. So then Synthigo, right? How did we market the problem in using sales and SDRs? Again, we looked at the key concepts that were issues for them, right? Which was guide design, gene, knock-in, knock-out, drug discovery, cell editing. And how to use CRISPR. How to use CRISPR was the biggest like problem people had, as I mentioned earlier. So we developed educational assets. And that actually wasn't the key part. The key part was we spent time understanding our customers' problems. And as I mentioned earlier, CRISPR is a tool to do their research. And the biggest problems they were having was it would take them seven attempts to actually get their experiment done over six months. It means they were losing time. It was taking a lot of effort. And they were only getting that attempt to be right with an actual effort of 43%. Meaning even if they got the actual edit to be done, only 43% of that edit was taking hold. So it's like you're failing constantly and they needed different ways to be able to accelerate this because their research was slowing down without spending all that money. And that's where we came in. We were the flower and they were the Mario and made them the hero. But we had to do research to understand this. That's right, Joshua. CRISPR is a invention by Jennifer Doudna, which is a way of editing cells using different reagents. And Synthigo sold those reagents that allowed you to make the edit in a faster, more effective way, which allowed uh, researchers and companies to conduct their experiments faster, resulting in them removing things that would not make it to clinic versus things that made it to clinic. So that's a great question because also what we did was we leached on to CRISPR as something that was the way that everyone was excited about and started really marketing around CRISPR because that's what we help you do and help you do CRISPR experiments and did research to be like, hey, you spent about 472 hours doing your CRISPR experiment and almost $18,000 to do an experiment in the lab. If you did it with us, this is how much it would cost you. ROI calculators to create that demand. But then also did events like CRISPR movies and TV where we did sci-fi movies. We had people, we gave a talk before the movie and then Obviously, they knew who we were. And then afterwards, also, as well, I did genome engineering, so much was the category we owned to talk about how luminaries who were genome engineers and how they did their experiments and how they outsourced it and be able to achieve more outcomes as a result. And this allowed us to build trust. And for us, we identified trust at Synthigo through how many publications we were cited in, because that's how that industry looks at credibility. And as well as having the co-inventor of CRISPR join us in office hours, which was, again, an event that we did. And this resulted in a lot of awesome stuff happening to where we had our own event called World CRISPR Day, and which had over 13,000 registrants, delivered $45 million in pipeline, and we closed 16 million in pipe over the next six months afterwards as a result of it. 
So these examples, really what I'm saying is like, how are you thinking about educating your audience today by marketing the problem, right? What are ways you guys are doing? Some of you guys have said white papers. Some of you guys have said, hey, I'm not spending enough time on it or lead magnets. But that's the one thing that I would really encourage you guys to think there's like, what are the ways I'm doing where I'm educating the audience about the problem, which is marketing the problem, which gives you credibility and trust and allows you to demand capture and demand creation. So the takeaways, again, there's only 5% of B2B buyers are ready to buy in the current quarter. You need to balance demand creation with demand capture, resulting in you focus on your prospects problems, not your products. And educating them is really like the secret weapon to capturing and creating demand simultaneously. With you know, with this, I'll pause here for any questions, thoughts, comments, and go ahead and leave my information if you guys want to reach out to me, my email, as well as my Twitter and LinkedIn. Wow. Thank you, Aditya. This is all super valuable information. And I was like taking so many notes. For everyone who has questions for Aditya, even specifically about your startup, feel free to ask them. The floor is open for you all. We have plenty of time. Again, Aditya, this is a wonderful, really helped me see things in some new light here. And by the way, thanks to Insight and Stephanie for putting this together and hosting this event and others like it. So demand creation is kind of like a slow process, right? I think we could agree on that. Yep. What, what's your best advice on this? Because it's, it's, you know, lead magnet for like the demand capture is kind of like easy and we expect, you know, faster results, but we know we're not building for like the long term, what's like the best kind of like tip or advice you give on this idea of this is kind of like, you know, it's a process that you take a lot of time to put together, you know, whatever you're doing in demand creation, but you know, how to get through that or like, what's the best advice for like getting faster results? Does that make sense? That kind of question. And it's kind of loaded there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question question and a great point, right? We all want faster results and we want to do it quicker. But the reality, and I'll say this, people, I mean, I like the reality is that people are inundated with information from so many other products and so many other things they're trying to. Demand creation takes time. There's no way you're going to shortcut that. But the things you can do to shortcut that are things that can use to capture demand, like you said, from a lead magnet perspective. And one of the things is your lead cap, your demand capture is oftentimes going to be, do you want a demo request, right? And try to get more of those in top of the funnel to accelerate them down. And that can be done oftentimes with either having them attend invite-only dinners or roundtable discussions, or even webinars where you have a luminary speaking that you can attach your brand to and talk about the problems with. And what that does is it allows you to capture the demand because they're writing on the trust of somebody else. And you're also using that trust and also gives you an asset that you can create to put on YouTube, write a blog post about. So that way you're targeting both of them at the same time. And it's not easy, don't get me wrong, but if you do it on a constant basis where there are assets you can use to get the demo now, but also repurpose for later, you're going to be able to accelerate people through that funnel. That's what really I would suggest. Thank you. Awesome. I have a question that's kind of about like market research and talking to your customers. So for companies that are still really early on and they're still honing in on the problem and their solution, what are some of the ways that you've seen companies talk with their customers to say like, hey, are we really solving the actual problem that you have? 
Yeah, that's a great point, right? That's like a whole nother topic, right? That I could spend another two, three hours on. But really like that phase is the problem discovery, right? The problem discovery to understand your customer's problems so you can actually market about them. And that really comes down to one, understanding where they do their research, what are communities that they're part of or fraternities, as Andrew said, and how do you go and spend time in those communities and get data in a qualitative and quantitative way? And one way is you can sit there and do interviews of people, offer them surveys, where the survey is very much talking about understanding their pain points and what they in a day-to-day experience and what is the pain point and why it's not enabling them to do their jobs and, you know, get feedback in that sense and tailor the questions to that, right? And, and that way you ask the right questions, you're going to get to the pain very quickly and be able to talk about the pain. And then this results in writing a report. This results in being able to take that report, distill the findings and be able to go and capture demand immediately and then create demand over time also as well. And this is what you know, better for worse, I've been lucky enough to do in multiple companies to shortcut them. Awesome. Quick question on what are some of your techniques or thoughts about marketing the problem when it seems really negative, when the problem seems really negative, as opposed to saying, oh, we can make that bigger and better. That's kind of one, you know, that's kind of good news. But there's other situations where it's sort of like, this is damaging something or this, what's happening is horrible. We have to stop that. Yeah. I have examples in my career where I've had to deal with that. And some I can say, some I can't. But what I can say in terms of like a tactic and strategy, from a tactic perspective, if something is damaging and not good, I would spend time like actually talking about why it's damaging and why it matters, why it needs to be a focus on. As much as it's damaging, you're going to get further with people paying attention if you're open to talking about the issues. Like an example we talk about was at Amplitude when we discovered that if you spend $10,000 and acquire 10,000 users, you're going to lose 8,000 of them in three days. People don't want to hear that because everyone was focused on engagement and everyone in the industry was saying, I'm going to acquire more users because that's all that matters. But no one ever looked at are these users sticking around and are they going to even be around? So we really went forward and said, hey, you're, you're going to either you retain your users or you die. And we really didn't want to be negative. But at the same time, we said, this is a fact this is, you know, we found. And what are you going to do about it? And it really challenged people to be okay with the uncomfortableness of having to look at themselves and be like, okay, I need to like really address this now. And then we were, because we didn't say we had a better way. We said, you have to focus on retention. Well, we didn't say this is how you do retention. It's very different for every B2B business, right? So it was much more about thinking about the problem. And yes, it's negative and marking it that this is how it's hurting you. And you're spending money left and right and getting nothing back in return. Really interesting stuff. Who else? Whether it's in the chat or I turning on your mic, what other questions? We probably have time for one or two more. I have one about the process for, as Stephanie mentioned, for product discovery or customer discovery, but it's for a startup where we're trying to particular types of users, early adopters, how do we engage with them to, when you don't actually have a product, but you're trying to get customers to sign up for a proof of concept, get a letter of interest or something like that. How do we nail that type of process? 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing in nailing that type of process, right? It comes down to how do you a talk to your customers, find out where they live, right? And then understand like in talking to them, like literally at that point, I wouldn't even do a survey. I would spend time finding folks and be like, hey, I'd love to, can you give me your time as a thought leader? I'm trying to understand the space and the problem because I think there might be something I can address and just, un- and, and getting them to tell you like, these are the issues I have. This is what works well, doesn't work well. And really asking, okay, why does it matter to your business? Is this a pain or just a benefit you're looking to gain? Because the, the other side is that most people won't say this, and this will help you in understanding if your product has a fit. And, and if you're speaking the language they are, is money follows the pain. Money doesn't follow the benefit. If there's not a pain in the business, money will not follow it to pay for it. But if it benefits the business, that's not really something money will follow because it's just an upside versus an actual issue, right? If your leg is hurting, you're going to go get it looked at versus, hey, if I did this, I could feel better <laughs> versus if I did it, I will feel better. And so I would say early stage where you're at, I would definitely try to find a few folks you could talk to and really ask them about the pain before even doing a survey or anything. So you can get some actual hearings and qualitative insights. Thanks. This makes me think about how in this world that we all live in of learning how to create a successful startup, we always hear solve a real problem. You talked about money following the pain. So if there is a real painful problem, you can sell your solution. If you're just going after a benefit, which is like, hey, customer, I'll make your life a little bit better, more enhanced in this way, it's a much harder sell. That's an interesting point. Yep. And I think especially in our macroeconomic status, it's going to be more and more true. In the interest of time, again, we just have another few minutes here to wrap up. So Aditi, I'd love for you to tell everyone more about where they can find you and follow along online and continue their learning. Yeah. Best way, you know, you can reach out to me. I just put my Gmail in the chat and also my LinkedIn. Those are the best ways if you want to reach out to me and have questions or thoughts. I do advise companies. I I do consult as where it seems appropriate. It's not something I do all the time, but if it makes sense, I do do that. And in general, happy to answer questions. Paying it forward is, is how I think I've gotten to where I got to living in the Bay Area. And regardless if you live in the Bay Area, happy to help in any way I can. I love that. Pay it forward is just one way to say this idea of give without the expectation of anything in return. And I love seeing that in the startup world. And you kind of have been a consultant to us today. So thank you so much for offering your time and expertise. Yep. Thank you, everyone, for the great questions. And again, please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions or anything I can help with. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, everyone. That's it for now. We'll see you next time. Really appreciate you guys. We'll be right back.